Welcome to Greyhounds Make Great Pets with Rory Goray, TJ Beter, and Kathy Goray. Each week, we talk about the connections between owners and their pets with an emphasis on topics that apply to greyhounds. If you want to hear more about your best friend, stay tuned. Now, here are your hosts. Happy Friday, one and all. It's time for Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Um, Without further ado, I am going to throw it over to Rory and TJ. What? You have nothing else to say? Uh, I did, but my computer just died. I heard it. Well, you know, there's, (laughs) there's an old saying, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. So I just want to say this. Whoever scorned Miss 2020, now might be a good time to apologize. Not funny. Go kiss and make up. We're tired of this. Uh, without anything else for me to say, because Kathy's computer crashed and burned, probably, uh, let's welcome in TJ. TJ, how we doing? I'm doing good, Rory. How are you guys? Well, we're, you know, self-quarantined, uh, practicing our distancing. Kathy's uh, a good 20 yards away from me right now. Um, and you're, of course, several states away from us. So I think we're uh, we're doing great here. <laughs> oh, we pass. That's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was. Um, I'm all with you though about the let's 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 uh, get 2020 straightened out here. Whoever's making uh, making her mad needs to to play nice. Yeah, you know, stop it, man. It's it's not funny. You know, just kiss and make up, and let's move along. Uh, you and I were on the phone um, just a little over an hour ago, and it was a little subject I do what we want to cover today. And first, I do want to say for anybody new listening or is not familiar with greyhounds, greyhounds are probably one of the most socialized. And when I say greyhound, I'm talking retired racing greyhound or the racing greyhound itself is the most socialized dog I've ever known of and is probably the most socialized dogs out there in that these greyhounds, when they're raised at the farms, are with their litter mates, their mom, and numerous humans taking care of them. When they're at the racetrack, they're with other greyhounds. They're with numerous people taking care of them in the kennels and then handled by different people in the jenny pit and all that. So we're talking about an animal that is highly socialized used to being around humans, used to being around other dogs. And in the old days, when I know when I adopted my first greyhound, Anna Marie, and I think it was 83, no, not 83, 93, um, there was a topic that they liked to cover with new adopters, and they called it the Monday morning blues. And they worked, told you things you should do to prepare your dog, because most adoptions happened on a Saturday morning. And they prepared you to prepare your new greyhound for Monday morning when you went to work. Because that oftentimes, especially people who had just adopted, only have one dog, that's all of a sudden the first time this dog is without another dog, without humans around. And it it can be kind of scary. So Tanya and TJ and I were talking, and one of the things was like, we got a lot of people working from homes now and or a lot of new people adopting a greyhound for the first time and their home. So we want to talk a little bit about the preparing your dog for when we all start going back to work. So I don't know if, I, TJ, if you had something you want to put in, um, some of your experience of how you've worked with the, the, the greyhounds, um, getting them prepared for 
when we when when 2020 is no longer pissed off at us <laughs> yes actually there there are a few things that that I'd like to address along that same conversation and, and yes our my adoption group for two decades uh, we always address that um, and and always let the the family take the dog whether it be they had two days off during the week or whatever, something that where they're going to have a few days at home to help that greyhound acclimate, um, particularly when there is not another pet in the house. But you're right. Um, I've, I've joked with a lot of people that, that these dogs are probably one of the few that you can hang, hang on, uh, hand off a lead to with the greyhound there on the other end of it, and they'll just saunter off happily with you. Um, part of what our, our meet and greets, we, we would let prospective adopters I'd take the dog and walk through uh, one of the local pet stores that we were at, um, you know, to let them get get used to the dog and, and give them a little bit of time alone away from the, the hubbub of all the other greyhounds that we had around. And, um, you know, I'd say a good nine out of ten of them would just happily saunter off with them. So they, they're they used to being handled by so many people, and they're so trusting of people that it doesn't it doesn't phase them. They're just like, oh, I'm going off on another little walk here with someone else. So you're right, from, from everyone in the, in the kennel that's there, and there are people in and out of kennels all day long. Um, they, do, they do try to leave them alone for a few hours to get some sleep time, but they're in and out all day long. Um, you know, you've got the trainers, you've got the kennel helpers, you've got um, the, you know, the lead outs, you've got you know, judges, everyone, everyone, the veterinarians, everyone has their hands on these dogs. Um, one of the things that I did notice, because I was in the field of education for a very, very long time, is that um, I would always have trouble even with, with my own personal pets, um, you know, my personal greyhounds. Whenever I was out in the summer, my, my dogs got very used to me being around. So I had that adjustment period every fall when school would start back. Um, and I would try to start usually a, a month beforehand of leaving the house more and staying gone for longer just to get them back into the routine of, no, I'm not here all day long with you <laughs> now and, and just, you know, scooting out to run errands or whatever. Um, it, it's definitely it, any change in their routines. They will come into your house more stressed than they're going to be in their environment at the kennel because that's, they've always known being around humans and other greyhounds. So when they go into a, a different environment, they're going to be stressed out initially to begin with. So adding the fact that you are going to be going back to work and being gone for, you know, more than eight hours typically unless you work part-time um, or you have a job where you can come in and out or work from home. They're, they're, they're going to have to get used to that new routine, routine and the fact that they don't have that human coming in and out every couple of hours, you know, to sort of reassure them and take them out and interact with them and all those wonderful things that we, we do with our dogs. Yeah, I got a little little story. It's actually from just uh, yesterday morning. Um, talking about these the greyhounds, um, Sasha. We had him. At, I had to take him to a uh, veterinarian clinic yesterday that we have not been to uh, for a surgical consult. And when the vet called me to discuss his findings, he's like, yeah, "Sasha's doing really great, and he's going around kissing everyone." I said, "Yeah, he will." Walk off with the milkman if he, if he was allowed to. Um, and, so, and Sasha <laughs> Sasha is one, because we, we have seen a lot of juveniles now coming into adoption program, more than we had in the past. He While he trained to be a racer, he never went to a racetrack. And I want people to understand, 
even at the farms, these dogs are highly socialized. They get a lot of attention, and they do. They, they you know, they just love uh, humans. Even our newest one that he did go to a track. He's just a little over two years old. God, I think this guy. He, he sees human, and you could just see him running at you, human. Ah. But um, I know, and Kathy, you, you and I were talking a little bit this morning. Um, your first greyhound. There was some things while you were home a lot. There was still some things you did to prepare your first greyhound, Winston. Um, for when you would leave, you, could you share a little bit what you did with Winston? Well, uh, that was back in um, '86, and sorry, '96. Uh, and uh, you know, the group had uh, Winston was my first adult dog of any breed. Um, I'd had him as you know pets as a kid, but I realized you know the parents raised them. I did not. I just got to corrupt them. So. Um, the adoption group had instructed me that being that I was going to be home, um, it, it, I, need, I needed to make sure there was, uh, you know, distance and alone time. So they had said to work slowly doing this. Don't, you know, adopt, uh, you know, a dog and then suddenly go back to work the next day. Well, I wasn't going anywhere, so that was kind of difficult to do. Uh, one of the things I had, they advised me, was to go out of the house five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day the next day, 15 minutes, just build on a very gradual basis. Um, At the time, I was in a condo, and uh, I hid my garage for, you know, minutes a day. This way, I was out of sight, um, not out of scent, actually, but out of sight, and I could also hear what might have been going on. And I thought, okay, this, this is working, you know, pretty good. And as, as things went on, I'm, you know, up to 30 minutes and it's, it's okay. And I thought, all right, this will work. So it was time to, you know, go out grocery shopping and came back. And apparently an hour was, you know, we did, I wasn't able to go from a, a half hour to an hour because I came back to find, the door had nice claw marks on it, and the railing had been chewed a little at the end. So, you know, it's, it, and even now, you know, um, being an artist, it's also known as being a bum, so I'm home all the time. And I get a little edgy, Rory, as you know, um, you know, leaving the tribe alone or when we go out, because it's kind of like, well, all right, they'll be okay. No, they won't. Yes, they will. No, they won't. And it's just that, that apprehension and from very good um, advice from the experts that have crossed the, the airwaves of GMGP over the years, um, I know that they pick up our anxiety. So, you know, if I think if we're kind of calm and relaxed about leaving them and our routines, they will be as well. Um, but... Again, in this day and age with the virus and everyone working from home, you've got to try to continue your normal routine, adapting it to what you have to do. Okay, if you have to stay at home, then with your current dogs who aren't used to you being home or a new dog that you may bring or cat that you bring into the home, Get out of their their sight. Get out of their space for a while. Go sit in your car. You know, 
<laughs> but give them some alone time so that, you, you know, they know and you know that you're not always going to be there. Exactly. Um, I know when I adopted Anna Marie, um, Greyhound Pets of America, California, at that time, they were calling it, you know, preparing your Greyhound for Monday morning blues. And what they had us do was Saturday morning, we adopted the Greyhounds and we spent the day with our new Greyhound at home, getting, a, you know, socializing with him or with her, getting her used to the home life or a little the bit there. And then Sunday, you know, about mid-morning, we were advised to, you know, do something so the dog knew, started seeing the routine. And they advised us to shake the key at the dog. So they shook the keys, walked outside, closed the door, waited five minutes, came back in. And, you know, and then a little bit later, did it again, but waited 10 minutes and then built it up to where we, we'd leave for 30, 40 minutes. And, you know, just built the dog up, the greyhound up for that. Um, TJ, I don't know if you had any other input of what how what you've advised new people to do or those type of things or if we've got it covered. That's pretty much um, what our, our group did. Um, the way I would do it personally, would I would go out front and do some gardening and, and stuff and, and sort of be in, a, in and out and just extending my time. And I think that's probably the best way to do it. And, of course, leave on a radio or a television or something like that when I was gone so that they did have noise. Because most kennels actually do the very same thing. They will leave a you know, soft music on or whatever music that they're used to playing in the kennel. It can be whatever um, or a TV going. So they do typically do that except at bedtime at night so that they can have an extended rest period. But during the day for their nap times when they were actually in there resting in between uh, their play times and everything, most kennels do leave something on. And that's the other thing yeah. that I would, would probably recommend. Yeah, good point, and that's what Kathy and I do. The greyhounds are out in the living room area. They're apparently watching a cooking show when we're gone, and then the, the greyhounds in the master bedroom, they're watching uh, a history channel. So uh, we, we well, always it's do. It's a little something for all tastes. <laughs> so, just no, don't, just don't thing. have anything on that will will have greyhound races on it, or you may come back home to a, to a house that's, been been ran around a few times, or your your TV knocked over. Um, that or well, that reminds, uh, When I lived in St. Pete, we we did have those things um, where we would they would show the replays of the races. Um, uh, and if you ever have been around a retired racing greyhound, as soon as they start playing the music, and you know during the post parade and everything like that, these dogs never forget, and they never forget when they see a race. There's videos all over YouTube that shows retired racers watching it on TV, and they do get very, very excited, so I wouldn't recommend having anything like that playing while you're leaving. Yep. And Kathy, I think you had some input? Uh, well, uh, just nothing important, so go ahead. <laughs> right. Well, and, uh, just another thing on um, routine. Um, Kathy and I noticed um, when we would take trips, um, we used to have the dog sitter come early in the morning because we always had a f very early morning flight to wherever we were flying. And it seemed to be take the dogs a little while to get adjusted to us being gone and the dog sitter being there. So we started when we have a long trip and early morning flight, we actually now have the dog sitter come over the afternoon before and we go ahead and then leave and go check into a hotel by the airport here in Phoenix 
And it seems to have really helped out because uh, after a while, the dog sitter shows up, they get dinner right away. And then, you know, then it's after a while, it's bedtime. And then they wake up in the morning and say, like, okay, yep, they're gone. And she's here and we're, we're being taken care of. So nothing, nothing, we're not missing out on anything. And another um, thing, and Kathy, can, you can back me up on this. I do a lot of traveling and there are um, Harley. Yes, used to you be do. One. Um, not right now, but Harley was one, and um, I do believe uh, Che is now that greyhound that as soon as he sees the suitcases and me packing them up, there seems to be a little depression because they know I'm leaving for a while. And so one of the things I am going to have to do here probably this next week is bring my suitcases in, pack them up, go out and disappear for a couple hours and then come back and start getting them back into that. I will do that. And also we have a new Greyhound that does not know I travel. He just knows where I sleep and he can jump up on me in the middle of the night or early morning with his human. Ah. Yeah, he's, uh, he's interesting. (laughs) And I did bring up uh, another topic, uh, TJ and I wanted to cover a little bit today because uh, I had been talking about Sasha had a, a vet appointment yesterday. And the reason why he had a vet appointment is a few weeks ago, he was z- performing zoomies in the yard with his new younger brother. And I'm guessing he was just trying to show off or something. And they bumped into each other or Sasha bumped into something, cut in a corner and um, tore some ligaments in his ankle. And, of course, we then had him in a, um, he was wrapped up in a splint for a couple of weeks, which he just really thoroughly hated. So we, we took him uh, yesterday to a orthopedic vet to have him looked at to see if there was, you know, for a surgical consult to see if he was going to need surgery. Thankfully, um, he's not going to need surgery. But the subject of racing greyhounds and injuries, folks, it happens in our own yards. But the, the one, I can say this, I know Sasha and his new friend, they were doing something they loved doing, running, having fun in the backyard. I totally agree with you, Rory, and this is a topic that um, sort of makes me perk up quite a bit because people want to talk about greyhound racing. And um, people need to stop and think for a minute about the type of surface that a, a greyhound races on professionally. And is is trained on uh, even before they get to the track, and it is a is a surface that's far different than what you're going to find in the backyard, um, you know, or, or even at a doggy park. Um, in in your backyard, you can find things like where you live in Florida. You're going to find cacti. You're going to find swing sets. You're going to find swimming pools. You're going to find maybe rocks, uh, tree roots. And just basically divots that you're not going to find on a surface. That's why they, they have the, I call it the Greyhound Racing Zamboni <laughs> that comes out and, <laughs> and, and manicures the track. Um, and that's, if anyone's a hockey fan, they'll know that, that term. But um, there's, there's so many more dangers because Greyhounds, even when they're not running flat out full speed, they're, they're still running, and there's so many things that can be in your backyard that you don't even think about um, that, that can potentially injure a greyhound and does injure a greyhound um, that you don't find on a track surface. 
So the next time you hear someone, um, particularly if they're affiliated with a, a lot of the anti-racing groups uh, out there that like to scream about how dangerous racing is, actually, it's from what I've seen personally and personal experience, which they don't have, by the way, is um, it's actually not uncommon to hear of a greyhound get injured at, at a home once they've been adopted. It is not uncommon at all uh, to have injuries happen in a backyard that you actually see fewer times uh, whenever they're racing. Exactly. Um, you Good point there. Um, racetracks, they're prepared they uh, they have people going out and checking things to make sure it's a safe environment. And one of the things we, a few years ago, we had a greyhound. His name was D. Um, D's down and dirty. Um, he was running around in the backyard, and he slipped and broke his leg. And after evaluating what had happened, we have this weird thing we do out in Arizona. We love our grass. So in the summertime, we have Bermuda growing. Well, then when fall comes, the Bermuda goes into hibernation. So a lot of us would throw out ryegrass. So we would have green grass in the summer, in the winter time. And I was one of those that would throw out the ryegrass and get it growing. Well, ryegrass is can be is very slippery, and that's what happened. D slipped on the grass on this slippery ryegrass. So after that, that was the last time I I never planted ryegrass again. Uh, just because I do not want to have that unsafe grass in my yard because I know and I'm going to allow my dogs to do what they love to do to run around the yard. That's what they do. Injuries do happen, even at home. Um, even the, the biggest people that hate greyhound racing, their own greyhound got injured going out for a walk. Its leg got a severe cut on its foot. Another dog that one individual owned, either A, was pulled, jumped, or something in front of a slow-moving trolley and got injured. Injuries happen. And the one thing I, I will say... Do. I totally agree. Yeah. The track is probably the most safe environment for a dog doing what it loves to do, run. It's prepared. It's inspected. People are thoroughly looking at these dogs. How many of you can say, before your dog goes out to run... That before it runs out the doggy door, before you open up your door to let it out in the backyard, there's a veterinarian standing there giving your dog a checkup, looking it over before it goes out and performs in the backyard. None of us do that well, unless you're a veterinarian. But Greyhound Racing, there's a veterinarian there that checks the dog out when they bring it into the jenny pit and then checks them out again before they're suited up to go out and race. That dog gets checked twice before it goes out to perform that day or that evening. So just something to and really think about. Yeah. Um, and, and they are watching, the vet will be watching the race too, just looking for things. And while it's a fast sport, I can tell you the, the veterinarians involved in greyhound racing and thoroughbred racing, quarter horse racing, they are very experienced and have eagle eyes. They know what they're looking for and they're, they're watching. So again, Think about next time you have some people coming and making a big to-do about a very small percentage of injury, um, and it is a very low number in greyhound racing, and then start thinking about how many injuries happen at home. It's, it's something that's going to happen. You know, unfortunately, folks, life begot, after life is death. So you could say death is caused by life. Dogs are doing what they love to do. They're happy, but there are going to be injuries that happen. And very few of them. I totally agree with that, Rory. 
there, the one thing that I would like to say about that is we, we want our pets to be happy. We want dogs to be happy in general. And as someone who has spent a great portion of my life uh, over the last 20, almost 23, a little over 23 years now, doing this and being in a kennel environment uh, inside of a racing compound is I, I see the dogs. I see them behind the scenes. I see them whenever they're getting ready to go race. I see them when they come back from a race. You know, I, I see the retired ones um, and get excited whenever you do turn on the, the, the races for them to watch. I see this, and, and there are videos of that, of that too, on, on YouTube and, and out on Facebook, by the way. I know they're happy. I've seen it with my own eyes, and that, that polygraph test is still out there for the taking. If anybody wants to do it, I'm, I'm happy to have my, my experiences verified. So the, the, the entire point of it is you want your animals or any animal to be happy and thriving and, and doing something they enjoy doing, and they absolutely enjoy that. And for people that think that dogs, that these greyhounds just like to run, no, they like to race and compete. They do this in packs, um, even if they're, you know, doing something, if you want to think back to being in the wild or, or chasing game or something like that. They're, they're still always vying to be that first one. So, yes, it is a competition with them. They enjoy it. They love doing it. So it's the best of both worlds. They get to spend their, their young adulthoods and their youth doing everything that they love to do and that their bodies are actually built for, geared for, and what they desire doing. And then they come home to be pets. Yep. Think about this, folks. And I've, I've talked to a few people in the last uh, week, um, all now experiencing working from home and um, experiencing not being able to go out or not watch a ball game on TV. And they're getting really frustrated and seem to be starting to get a little unhappy that, they're not able to do things that they like to do or would make them happy. The greyhounds love to run. This makes them happy. So what would you rather have, a dog that is unhappy or a dog that is happy and getting to do what it loves to do? Think about that. And with that said, I know we have a couple of minutes, but I'm going to go ahead and take us to break early because I think the dogs need to be let out. So with that said, we'll be right back after these messages. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The GPA, that's Greyhound Pets of America. If you would like information on how you can adopt an ex-racing Greyhound, call 800-366-1472. These dogs are fit, healthy, happy, playful pets, good with children, and oh, do they love lots of hugs. Adopt a cool Greyhound today. Call 800-366-1472. are listening to Greyhounds Make Great Pets with Rory, TJ, and Kathy. To find out more about the show and what we do, please send an email to gmgp3 at yahoo.com. That's gmgp3 at yahoo.com. Now, back to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Yes, indeedy. We are back with more Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Today, our hosts, Rory Gray and TJ Beter are chatting with Rory Gray and TJ Beter about all kinds of greyhound stuff. So let's toss it back to our hosts and guests. Well, you know, Kathy, you're involved in this as well, so you know, feel free. Um, anyways, <laughs> another another subject. Uh, hey, I, I can't get a word in edgewise. <laughs> you just you just got several words in right now. <laughs> Well, okay, then my words are done. You guys go. (laughs) (laughs) 
Anyways, there's another subject I kind of wanted to cover, and hopefully people have been enjoying the last few weeks because, uh, again, um, TJ and I do have a lot of phone calls, and we'll call to talk about a certain subject, and next thing you know, a couple hours later, we've we've covered multiple subjects, and we learn a lot from each other and come up with some great ideas or solutions, and um, that's what we've been kind of trying to do for you this last few weeks. Um let you kind of enjoy in some of our conversations that we have uh, sometimes almost daily or multiple times during the day. But another subject I kind of wanted to talk about is I did see a post uh, from a person. They were pretty much posted that was the Greyhound racing industry pretty much just using or just reliant on the adoption community to you know, take care of the dogs when they were done. And if, if we had um, Dennis McKeon on the show with us right now, um, he would even tell you the adoption movement was not started by HSUS, Great UK, or PETA, or others. It was started a lot by, well, pretty much it was started by people in the industry, greyhound trainers, greyhound breeders people who worked at the track. That is who got the movement going. Um, Greyhound Pets of America, the largest national program in the world for a single breed, has uh, Greyhound Pets of America, since it opened its doors, has now adopted out over 100,000 greyhounds into loving homes. Many of the people who got Greyhound Pets of America going back in the day were people who owned racing greyhounds, who had been kennel owners, who had worked in the kennels, the, the racing industry is the movement behind greyhound adoption. I want people to understand that. And I, I know, TJ, you have some input on that as well. Uh, yes, I do. Um, that's very true. And we actually have many volunteers that are uh, involved with the industry that work with various chapters uh, and various other groups that are, are not GPA. Um, throughout the country. And one of the things that I think it brings to the table to, to have that is that there is, there's knowledge passed along. Uh, most of the Greyhound adoption groups out there have a lot of knowledge because of, of the way that it, it has evolved from the racing side of it. Um, most, most Greyhound groups and, and Greyhound volunteers now have been to tracks, have been inside of kennels, have been to the farms, and it's because there's, it's it's not, I don't like to think of greyhound adoption as being uh, the, the be-all and end-all of a, the, the life of a greyhound. Um, for me, it's not a savior thing. If you if you want to save something, then, then, then work with the galgos. They truly need things that the Spanish galgos do. In, in, in some of the, you know, the shelters here throughout the United States. I'm sure they need volunteers and everything. The way I look at it is you, you have the farms where they're raised, you have the tracks where they go compete professionally, and then you have adoption where they get adopted. I don't see a savior part of that. Adoption is simply the continuum, the continuum of, of the Greyhound life. Um, I've always been honored to be a part of that, and we do it because we love the breed. And uh, it may not be a popular thing for me to say, but I don't, I don't feel in any in any way that I'm saving an animal whenever a, a greyhound comes through through the doors of GPA or any other adoption group. We do it because we love the breed. 
And for me, it, it is an honor just to be able to continue that uh, from the, the farm to the track to the sofa. And that's just the way I've always looked at it. I've never once felt the need or, or being compelled to consider myself a savior for anything. Had I felt that way, then um, before I got into the greyhounds and the passion for the, the racing greyhounds, then something like helping the Spanish Galgos would have been a better route where you actually are saving something. That is, that is my opinion. Exactly. I can uh, tell a little story. Um, years ago, um, I was with the Greyhound Adoption Program I was involved with. I stupidly, I guess, asked a question. Hey, can't we um, ask the trainers, the uh, kennels, you know, for a little input about the, the dog? And the person who was running the group at that time, is he's now a board member of Gray 2K, he just shot back at me and said, these people, they have no value. They offer nothing. We're not going to learn anything from them. And my own experience since that day, I find the input that the people at the farms, the kennels, the tracks has been a huge benefit not only to the dogs in my own home, but to the dogs our programs are adopting out. So that was a false negative, a false right then and there by somebody who hated greyhound racing. And it's obvious because he's joined a board of Grey 2K who's done nothing to help a greyhound. Didn't even want to learn about the dog and get valuable input that helps even in the adoption process. Just sickening. It's absolutely crucial, in my opinion, to to have the input from farms and from trainers. Uh, I can't even, it's, it's mind-blowing to me. I, I can't even imagine, uh, there, there is no way of putting it all out there, everything that, that I've learned from them. Greyhounds yeah. are a unique breed. Um, there, there's so many nuances to them. Um, even my, my veterinarian has said before that it's, it's difficult to believe that greyhounds are actually dogs. <laughs> um, obviously, that's a bit tongue-in-cheek, but in, in many ways, it's true. And I would have never learned everything that I have learned, and, and I still enjoy learning. I learn every day about these dogs. Um, but, but the knowledge is it's incredible, and it's incredible whenever you see a, a trainer of a greyhound that's not laid eyes on the dog for two years still know the dog. And, and I'm talking about a flunky dog. I'm talking about my first greyhound ever, who the only race he ever won was breaking his, breaking his maiden. Uh, two years later, the trainer, he bumped into his trainer on an elevator when we were at a meet and greet. And the trainer looked at him and immediately knew the dog. And this is a black greyhound. Um, it's not like it was a, a blue or anything unusually marked, um, but he knew him right away. That was the first thing out of his mouth, is, is this Charlie? And I just stood there with my mouth open. I couldn't believe it. After two years, he still remembered that dog. And that should tell everyone something. Exactly. Um, Kathy and I just adopted a new dog a few weeks ago. And I had, prior to him coming here, I had contacted his uh, trainer at the track he had been running at before he was sent back to the farm. And she shared a couple of pictures of, with, of him in the kennel in his crate and she is like yeah he's always working to get up next to the dog in the crate next door and sure enough now that he's here in our home little miss lena she'll be laying down in her bed and 
here he comes and he plops right down in the bed next to her or Sasha will be on his bed and he's got to plop right up next to the other greyhounds. He, you know, just that picture she shared with me, alert, let us know this is going to be a dog that wants to lay down by the other dogs or, and as we found out, wants to jump on bed and lay next to his humans um, and look your face and see if it's time to wake up, which then it is now because he's done woke us up. Um, but yeah, there is so much we can learn from the people who have been at the farms working with these dogs, at the kennels, at the tracks working with these dogs. They know their personalities. And you may ask, well, why is that important to them? It's because they need to know these dogs. They need to know when they turn them out with other dogs, how they're going to react with the others. And they are experts at getting to know the personalities of these dogs and can pretty much be spot on and telling you how the dog is going to react in the home. We were pretty much told spot on how our new dog was going to react. And he's been exactly as we were told by these experts. They're not just people working behind. I like that word. Yeah, they are experts. They, they are know experts. Their stuff. Yeah. <laughs> they really are. And, and for people in adoption, oftentimes we, get, we don't have as much time evaluating these dogs. And we're evaluating them when they've been all of a sudden thrown into a new environment that they're not used to. These people see them day in, day out in an environment that they love, doing what they love, and they are spot on with the dog's temperament and what it may or may not like in the home. So reach out to these people when, if you know you're going to be getting a new dog and you can find out who the, the trainer might be. There's several Facebook sites you could join up and maybe find out who was the trainer of your dog. They're going to give you some valuable information. Trust me. Call them. Wide now, word. That, yeah. Now, with that said, um, another thing I found very valuable in talking to people who are experienced with dogs, Kathy and I did talk to um, a person who had been a breeder for a number of years out here in Arizona about Sasha and even before we kind of got the diagnosis from the veterinarian who saw him yesterday, she was pretty much spot on with, here's what's probably going to happen. Um, probably won't, you know, might, won't need surgery and, you know, may have a little limp going forward. Kathy, wouldn't you agree that she was pretty much spot on with what, what was going to happen? Exactly. Um, I, I think in that regard, um, trainers, breeders, um, do see the dogs uh, far more intently. Um, their job is to care for these these dogs um, and make sure they are in good health. And when something happens, they need to know exactly what it is. I mean, it's, I would say, while I do not have children, I would think as a parent, you know when your child needs to go to the emergency room and when he doesn't, when it's just merely, I have a tummy ache and I don't want to go to school, or, oh my gosh, your appendix just burst. Well, I, I would say that it, it would have to be somewhat along those lines with greyhounds as, you know, their, their birth to their growing, and also the experience enhances what you do and you, you talk with others and you share that information. So, yeah, when, when we consulted our friend and, you know, this had been, you know, her occupation, um, 
she knew that, yeah, if, if Sasha was doing this and putting this much weight and had been in a splint for two weeks and it was immobile and, you know, he wasn't using it mainly because he didn't like the splint, uh, which didn't hurt. Uh, you know, once he was out of the splint and had the time to rest and, and not use the leg and let it heal on its own, um, and the swelling was able to go down, the orthopedic vet was able to evaluate it a lot better. Um, yeah, we could have taken the chance and just said, well, you know, okay, he'll let it out, but you know, it, it doesn't hurt to go to a vet. It doesn't hurt to get that second opinion to validate kind of what you already knew. Um, yeah. I, I personally, I think I'll, uh, maybe the fault of, you know, uh, a lot of Greyhound owners is they, they go to the Internet before they go to their vet. Um, again, you know, use common sense. If it looks serious, go to your vet. Don't sit on the computer and go, oh, hey. Um, my dog's doing this, and what, what do you think I should do? Well, if you can't make a decision, maybe you shouldn't be a pet owner. And I know that sounds a little harsh, but, you know, I personally am one of those, you know, over-the-top, gets-emotional-gets-stressed kind of people. Um, thank goodness I have Rory, who's a little more balanced. So when I go, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, he can go, okay, look at it logically. Um, but I, I think the, the injuries and, and the, uh, uh, an adopted Greyhound's previous health, it does benefit you getting in contact with either, you know, their trainer or, or some other person who had hands-on experience with your dog while it was racing to help you understand Maybe the things you can't figure out, nor your vet knows. Um, I know Rory's a big advocate of making sure every vet he uh, encounters uh, knows fully about the uh, care of the uh, racing and adopted greyhound. Um, and I know that's helped our personal vet a lot as to well, you know things that have come up. Yeah, well, you you just hit on something I was just going to jump into because. I had to go right over to my bookshelf and drag out my hardbound copy of Care of the Racing and Retired Greyhound that is signed by all four authors. But um, Linda Blythe and Dr. Gannon, um, and Linda's also a doctor, have been uh, on our show numerous times. Dr. Craig. I would encur- Dr. Craig. Um, I would encourage everyone, make sure your vet has a copy and you can get it. Um, I believe you can still purchase them from the NGA or the uh, Greyhound Hall of Fame. So if your veterinarian does not have a copy of this, the care of the racing and retired greyhound, get a copy for them so that they have it there. Our vet has used it numerous times um, for his research on issues. Um, He even used it when he was researching um, Sasha's um, issue. So get a copy of it. And another little thing I just did want to talk a little bit about, because I know, TJ, your experience would be pretty much the same as mine. We've been through, over the years, many track closures or farm closures or um, even when a state has had to shut down, like Arizona Arizona had to shut down or when Connecticut closed its track, um, Plainfield, or even experience with Juarez. The people involved in ensuring the dogs got from the track to adoption was always people in the industry, whether it was the kennel owners, the trainers, track management, 
members and board members, officers of the NGA and adoption community. It has never once been Gray 2K, HSUS, PETA. Once they've caused their disaster, they disappear. And the people who really love these animals are the ones involved. And we there's a haul coming out the Ariz- to Arizona tomorrow. Everyone involved has been people involved on the backside of the track, track management, NGA, and adoption people. It has not one person from Gray 2K, PETA, HSUS been involved, yet they're the ones that pushed the end, the Amendment 13, which will bring about the end of betting on live greyhound racing in Florida. They have done nothing to help the greyhounds that they have now displaced. Let that and I'll agree in, with folks. you, and I'll even add the, the, the transporters of the greyhounds, they are experienced. Um, they are a part of the, the industry, and we depend on them a lot. Um, I mean, they're invaluable uh, to to everything, and, and they are people in the industry that, that have very extremely nice <laughs> trailers, and, and they're, you know, climate controlled and and everything else and they know their greyhounds and they they know everything about what to look for if one looks slightly stressed or anything they're they're a huge part of this this whole thing the the entire thing is a it's very symbiotic um between the farms and the tracks and uh, you know the, the kennels and adoption and that's what makes it all work um because we all we all have a passion for the greyhounds, and we know them, and we're hands-on with them, and that's the key words, hands-on. Exactly, and they love the dogs. Uh, when Amendment 13 was going on in Florida, you heard a lot from the people who wanted to pass Amendment 13. A lot of them were claiming the people in the industry don't love these dogs. They just are you know, using them for the money. There's, there's no passion for the dogs, yet... Right now, what you see, even though these people, a lot of them are going to be out of jobs, unemployed here pretty soon, and while they pushed for some jobs training programs for them, that's not going to really help because they're now going to be competing against the thousands and thousands of other people who are now unemployed because of COVID-19. But these are the people who are working hand-in-hand with adoption to get these dogs into homes. They wouldn't do it if they didn't love the dogs. So, folks... These people, next time you hear that people in the industry do not love their dogs, it's okay right then and there to just call bullshit. They love the dogs. They care about them. They do everything they can for the dogs. And I, with, you know, TJ, with what you were saying about the professional haulers, something I've learned over the years is I know there used to be an individual that did a lot of hauling for his adoption program, had a real nice rig and all that. But I remember every time I would talk to him, he always talked about how he had a couple of dogs die on each haul. And after a while, I got to thinking, it's like, well, wait a minute. These professional haulers, they never have this. That's because they knew what the hell they were doing, where this other individual was just doing it to be the glorified uh, dude on I-95. But yet, every time he did a haul, dogs were... Yeah, exactly. Um now, just I know we have a few minutes left, I think. Yes, we do. Um, another thing I do want to just quickly point out that you heard a lot of them talk about the steroids the dogs were, t- the females were given. People, the, the female, these were not really steroids. It was to suppress them going into heat. 
And there's two individuals that in Massachusetts are not licensed veterinarians, but apparently felt the need to practice veterinary medicine in Arizona and other states and then working to ban this medication that helped the females from going into heat. And I've been observing the last few hauls, we're starting to see more females going into heat. Um, and that's not a good thing to have when these dogs are going into adoption and may, many of them going into foster homes. We do not need these females going into heat. So these two individuals in Massachusetts practice, practicing veterinary medication without a license. Well, verbally. Yeah. They push to bring about an end, which might bring harm to greyhounds down the road. Again, these people don't care about the dogs. They only cared about their agenda to end gambling and to end greyhound racing. Just sickening. And well, and especially TJ. Oh, go ahead. Yes. Well, you can go um, ahead. I think you you pretty much said everything pretty pretty much succinctly. It is true that 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 we may be seeing some more females uh, coming on these these halls or, or transports. Um, coming into heat, that typically when one does, when they're in close quarters with it, with each other, another one will, will closely follow. Uh, that's been a, a pretty much a, a kennel experience I've seen. But I'm going to have to step back from that and, and also say, this is, uh, just reiterating what you said, this is a, a method of birth control. And birth control is something that women know a lot about. Um, there's nothing wrong with, with birth control. Um, it, exactly. it, it's, it, it can be dangerous not to have it. So um, the, the narrative that was put out about the steroids is another one of those taken out of context remarks, uh, pieces of propaganda that's out there. Um, again, and I know we've talked about this before, females do not become males. I mean, yep. that's just period. Drop mic. End of story. Female greyhounds do not turn into male greyhounds because they're on some sort of strange medication. Doesn't happen. Exactly. Just doesn't happen. Use your logic. Use your common sense. Yep. And do like me. Talk to an expert that is licensed to practice medicine, um, like Dr. Blythe or Dr. Craig, not two clowns in Massachusetts. With that said, I'm looking forward to tomorrow because I get to see the newest batch of greyhounds that came all the way from Florida with the help of the track and people on the backside and NGA into Arizona. Trish, big thank you for all that you're doing to organize it. With that, everyone, have a great weekend. Remember, practice your social distancing. Stay safe, everyone. Hug the hounds of the world. Ow! Thank you for listening this week to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Please join your hosts, Rory Goray, TJ Beter, and Kathy Goray for another edition of our program next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a wonderful week.